Hello, I'm Rivian Knight, and this is Thai Hi-Fi. Amidst all the tumultuousness, not everyone gets to stay in one place at the moment. I reach out to my buddy, Steve Leckman, who has hot-footed it to rural Ontario, all the way from Montreal, and he hunkers down in a woodshop basement as we talk bow hunting, bow making, and deep nature connection. Hope you enjoy. All the best. So, this is Tai Hi-Fi, and I am juiced to welcome all the way from Ontario, Mr. Steve Leckman. Steve, thanks ever so much for um, coming to speak to me this very night. It's a pleasure, my friend. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now then, it is the uh, midnight hour here, Steve. Uh, it's a very good time of night to be listening. Um, yeah, w- where are we at in your day at this juncture in Ontario? Yeah, well, um, my son uh, is just put down to bed. It's, uh, it's um, half past seven. And um, yeah, the house is winding down. Me and my partner, Megan, were on, uh, in refuge uh, at her parents' place in Ontario. We're from Montreal, Quebec. Um, and I feel like I'm, uh, I'm, uh, like I've snuck away from a true winter. It's so mild here. <laughs> and I talked to my parents today. It's like minus 30 Celsius. And uh, here it's like minus three. It's like, oof. Anyway. Uh-huh. But uh, it's, such, it's so amazing to be here and have the support of her parents. And um, yeah, yeah feels good it's a good space for us right now mm-hmm. is there snow lying on the ground oh yeah tons of snow yeah i had a chance this morning to go out um looking for antlers that was my mission <laughs> that was my excuse to go wander it was like where are the deer at right now where are the deer and so i made a um a guess reading this landscape through google maps and these trails and stuff and um, and I called it, I found a bedding area where there was like tons and tons of deer tracks and on this beautiful little slope next to a quarry where there's some nice conifer trees and they were, they had bedded there the night before. I didn't spook them. They had left there the morning, but there was easily nine beds, um, tons of trails. I didn't find the antlers I was looking for, but, uh, but I'll be back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the snow, yeah, the snow is so fun to track in these days. Yep. I thought, Steve, it's been a little while since we uh, brought our minds together. Um, I look forward to looking into that a little bit later in this episode. But by way of bringing it together for this podcast, I um, thought we could make a little dedication for this show. And Mm. uh, to that end, I was wondering if you have any particular gratitude for your day-to-day. Ooh, gratitude. Um, I'm grateful for that song you shared with me earlier today because it, um, it just brings home the, uh, for me, the ancestors. And I'm just, uh, feeling grateful for the knowledge that gets passed down. And, um, you know, I'm whittling on, on some, some bows, uh, to, to make bows and arrows. And it, I just, it, uh, 
remembering the ancestors, it just adds that certain depth of skill, you know, and it's like, I'm not in this little silo, you know, I'm, I'm honing this craft that has been passed on for, I looked this up some 30,000 years, at least humans mm. have been using bows and arrows. And it's like, um, it feels so simple at times working on this craft. And, um, and I know how much of an art it is and shout out to the, to the ancestors and passing on the knowledge and uh, doing what they needed to do to survive and bring beauty into the world. Mm -hmm. Feeling that Steve Leckman. So I'm going to dedicate this podcast to our great grandchildren. You know, my ancestors were great boyers, bowmen. Mm. And, uh, you know, right now bow hunting, in the UK, not just Wales, but in the UK, is uh, that's not a thing, you know. In fact, I think it's probably illegal. But uh, wow. yeah, looking forward to future generations picking up the art again, and there being times for uh, for use of this ancient craft. I wanna, yeah, I wanna hold that. How does that sound? You with me? I'm with you on that, Radian. Thank you. That my dad was like, you know, he shot with a gun. And he, he had this kind of survival manual and in that was this like thing about how to make an, a longbow and I like must have read that thing like a hundred times as a 10 year old you know it was super <laughs> super fascinating yeah where did the enthusiasm or the initial kind of curiosity come from Steve do you remember oh wow um <laughs> yeah I think it's the that uh, that tricky question of can humans actually like live in harmony with nature? <laughs> that was a question in my late teens that that I was grappling with, and then you know stumbling into the the primitive survival world. I was like, these modern cave people, they're doing it. Whoa, you know, and kind of you know, yeah, you know, I was it was like superficial and kind of ignorant of a lot of the a lot of things there at that time, but I got really excited by, uh, by, uh, yeah, the primitive skills world, I guess. And that possibility and that potential and that, you know, I guess some people on the planet are still living by, by this tool, um, in different ways. And, um, but yeah, I guess, I guess it was, I guess it was that getting into Tom Brown's school, and then uh, doing an apprenticeship in Montana with some some amazing teachers. You know, this guy hands you an arrow with a stone point, and he says, you know, and he's hunting with a bow he carved, and he's like, this arrow has been through an elk and two deer, and I'm going hunting with it again this fall, and it's a stone point that, you know, in turkey feathers that sure. he made himself, and it's just like, holy moly, that's possible, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so the bow for me has long time captured the the poetry and the beauty of of living close to the earth. Yeah. Yo, Steve, this yeah. is a slight segue, but I was checking out um, MF Doom's discography. All right. And there, and there was this like triple album and um, it was all beats, right? But every yeah. single beat on this triple album was uh, attributed to a different plant from North America. Special, herb. Special, Special herbs, herbs yeah. yeah, volume one, two, and three. What's the story? Do you know? Uh, my understanding is at some point MF Doom was like, hey, I got these piles of amazing beats. I'm just going to put them out and uh, blew some minds. 
and then naming them after herbs. Yeah, I'm not too sure what the villain was thinking when he was, when he did that, but he uh, he did a little nod to all the uh, medicinal herbs out there yeah. in this world. That yeah, I was just reflecting yeah. a little bit earlier today about our meeting place. It was it was I I came out of the woods um, and on my way back through Montreal to catch a plane yeah. and. Um, what I really liked about meeting you, Steve, because it was this beautiful synthesis between city life, nature connection, and fun. You know, it was a, a beautiful transition. And I will always remember you um, both spitting beats and also um, practicing your hand drill fire by friction in your little city apartment. Yeah. And I remember, I remember the stories you told me of the trip that you had just gotten off of. And, dude, you were buzzing for sure off of that adventure and you told me one story that that just sold me and I was like I have to go there now thank you <laughs> you know and that was the story of um I don't know if I can even say it online can I tell it about uh Trevor coming out of the fire like from b beneath the fire yeah you could tell that story if you okay, want okay but this second hand you were there man I can't tell the story okay well <laughs> Maybe that's for another time then, because this is this is for you, dude. This ain't about me. I uh, I'm so psyched to right. you. I'm so, so psyched. I'm gonna to tell the story anyway. I'm gonna tell the, I'm gonna tell the story just because people have to know how cool this whole thing is and what you were part of. Is that okay? Go go for it. So so it's opening teen program. This like amazing like two weeks adventure for teens doing nature connection, all these kinds of like wilderness skills and. Uh, and it starts off with this scenario, the kids circle up around a fire and there's this really like meaningful, beautiful like opening. And then people are gonna rub sticks together to make a fire to light the opening fire and it's not working. All the instructors are there like going at the friction kits and turning and sweating and working really hard. <clears throat> and then- The music uh, is off key. You know, and the kids are looking around like, what's going on? Like, I thought they were like wilderness skills pros. Like, what's going on? And then, you know, Mark, the, 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 you know, the elder uncle figure, what do you do? What does he did? He like points to the fire and he's like, says some magic words or something. And then there's a dude underneath the fire. He's in a pit buried underneath the fire and he lights it. And then the kids, like, they see the fire just, like, erupting after Mark's words of pointing at the fire and their minds are blown. <laughs> and then he hops out of the pit and then runs and sprints into the woods. And then Mark is like, get him! <laughs> and then the crowd of teens chase after this guy through the woods. That was, like, the opening. When you told me that story, I was like, this is so creative and so special. Like, I have to go there. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> and help out in any way. Yeah, so that's where that's where we started hanging out. Yeah, yeah, that's true. All of that is partly true. Now, Steve, when we <laughs> met the second time, we actually got to hang out a little bit in the woods and go feral. And I, what I really appreciated that about that time is that we were like the behind-the-scenes schleppers. So rather than being yeah. like out-fronted central delivering. We got to like yeah, yeah. dig the toilets, move the water, make yeah. the transitions, sweep the forest floor and help the kids with that kind of being truly helpful aspect. And so that was a good time, dude. I really um, 
Yeah. I really liked that. Um, yeah, me too, man. That was very special. Witnessing all that and supporting it. and mm -hmm. Yeah, so much beauty and magic and uh, skillful mentoring. It was yeah. uh, some of the most beautiful mentoring I think I've, I've witnessed Yeah, at that program. Behind me, um, on my hanging from my window, there is um, a big sack of hazelnuts, which I, I harvest every year, Steve. But um, what they're held in is that elm bark bag, which you showed me how to make. And uh, one of the things I particularly appreciated from uh, apprenticing was the um, correct attribution to cultural context and the lands from which skills are originated in and in a sense who they belong to. And uh, so when you were showing me that, that particular art of making those birch bark and elm bags, I really appreciated your attention to detail on that too. Because you are mm. normally in Montreal, right? You're normally... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to tell me right. a little bit about those lands and what, what you've been doing craft-wise there? And then I'm going to like ask you more about bows because I'm really keen about that. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, so my travels and, and studies of wilderness skills like took me to a place like Wilderness Awareness School and this whole Eight Shields nature connection scene and started a, a nature school in Montreal, serving people around there. And um, yeah, it's in the St. Lawrence Valley. Um, it's an island in the St. Lawrence River and it's mixed woods um, and it gets really cold in the winter <laughs> and it gets really hot in the summer. Um, and uh, yeah, I work a lot with youth um, doing nature connection stuff and uh, we run a whole pile of adult programs because I try to train up the staff really well and um, and I also just love these skills and the skills that bring us close to the earth. And, um, I can kind of keep my, keep this hobby alive by, uh, you know, um, helping teach it and share it and do it, practice it with people. So, um, yeah, we do all sorts of different wilderness skills, tanning hides, making bows and arrows and making tools out of rocks and rubbing sticks together to make fire and, learning about plants and shelter and we do little survival missions and um yeah and we we aim to do mentoring really like help help advance the human potential you know help people's gifts shine in this world and help um connect our stories to the wider stories of of life on this planet and try to try to make some beauty um yeah what are you holding in your hand right now um yeah, this right here, I'm, I'm, so I got this bow that I'm making uh, as a gift for a friend of mine. He's about to retire, and he's taught me a lot of things. And, um, and uh, I know he's counting the days to retirement. He's a teacher at a high school um, in, in Ganawage on this, on this, uh, native, this Mohawk reserve. And um, he, he gave me the stave, um, and I've already made a bow out of it. Um, and um, I want to make him one for retirement. And then, so yeah, I've I've got this little. I'm trying to make a model of the of the tip of the bow. Mm -hmm. um, it's made out of ash. I think it's white ash. And um, I'm making a, a a replica of the first uh, 18 inches because I want to um, 
experiment with steam bending the wood to make a recurve. Uh, yeah, to, to bend the tips away. Um, it helps with the, uh, you know, the power and the efficiency of the bow. And I want to see if I can pull it off. And instead of like risking, I've had some like mixed experiences, steam bending wood before. And I thought, uh, hey, I have this like scrap piece from the same wood. I'm like, I'm going to make like a replica of a tip and then I'm going to steam it and bend it in the mold that I made and see if it works. Mm -hmm. And if it works, I'll consider, uh, you know, bending the tips of, of his bow. So I'm, I'm whittling it down right now to try to like match it perfectly. You know, I got it down to the right growth rings and um, I think there's just a little bit of shaping on the sides to do. Um, but I'm almost there. It's it's pretty good. Yeah. And I, I'm excited about this idea because uh, uh, it's a really, it can be a significant thing for bows and it's, it was a pretty common practice. Like people have been recurving tips for, for a long, long time. And um, I've had mixed success. So I'm, I just need to study more. I need, I want to practice this more. Yeah. That sounds pretty recurve sounds pretty hardcore. Like what's the what's the kind of progression here, Steve? Because I know you've been at this for for a while. Like where do you start? Or where did yeah, you start? Um, right. I mean where to start? I mean it can be so simple. It's like get a stick, bend stick, put <laughs> string on stick, launch little sticks out of your big stick that's bent. <laughs> that's the place to start and start you know <laughs> set some goals and see what goes wrong and see what goes right mm -hmm. um i think that's the best way to get into it is just try it out there's so many ways to to make a bow um i'm working with um seasoned wood so it's been dried for i think eight no no probably like a year a year and a bit right now um mm -hmm. And you dry it out. Um, and uh, I think it just adds to the durability of the bow and the longevity of it. Yeah. I'm, sh shooting, I'm shooting a bow in the yard here that I made my first bow in 2007. I'd kind of forgotten about it. Um, and then I kind of rediscovered it and took it out again. I was like, this is a nice bow. And it's still shooting. And it's taken a bit of curve, you know, like it's lost some of its integrity. So it's, it's technically like a lighter bow. It's, it's launching arrows uh, with less pounds of pressure behind it, but um, it's still, it's like 38 pounds. I measured it of pressure and it's, it's like, these things can last a super long time, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so even though it's like a primitive tool, it's by no means, um, you know, like just like a scrap little thing that's not functional, yeah. you know? for yeah. sure no i'm aware of that hey check it out so if i was to look at an ash stave or like you know kind of a bow stave are you using different parts of the tree in that ash does it you know are we talking like solely heartwood or you know what i mean like what are you doing with the i want to say geometry of the tree yeah so um yeah, you're you're asking a piece of wood to do something um, pretty special, like out of the norm, and so you have to be really considerate of of the piece of wood that you're uh, that you're selecting here. So, um, basically, the the key bits you can use the trunk or branches, um, you know, and you can use pieces that are kind of squiggly, you know, um, where the grain moves back and forth. 
or you can use a super straight grained wood. Um, it will all work. Some things that are super important is that the, the face of the bow, um, the part that goes out, you know, if I'm holding a bow, the part that's facing away from me um, is, is one growth ring. So um, yeah, cause you bend the wood back and you're asking the, the, they call that the back of the bow, the part that's facing forward to bend and um, to essentially like stretch itself out. And if you have crossed through more than one growth ring, I don't know if you can picture that, like that beautiful, like cathedral line on wood, like the grain of the wood, you know, that's been milled and, and planed, whatever. Um, if you bend that piece uh, in between the growth rings is a weak point. And um, yes. I think because of the spring, spring wood, the, 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 the veins of the wood actually are bigger and they expand to push up all like the, the liquid in come springtime to make the leaves. And um, it's more fragile. And so that can lift up. And so when you pull your bow back, if you've cut through a growth ring, you're, you're, there's a risk that the wood is going to separate at that point. And so it can be as simple as just taking the bark off the wood and then boom, you're at one growth ring. So that's, that's the simplest. Sometimes there might be some insect damage or there's some branches you want to like get past. And so you have to dig in and they call that chasing the rings. Cause you, so you dig in with a draw knife, scratch, scratch, scratch. You got to like cut into the growth to the layer you want. And then you have to shave everything else away. Your end result is the back of the bow. The part that's facing forward is um, just one solid growth ring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, and then otherwise after that, it's like, you're basically tillering it where you're shaping it and making sure that the two limb limbs bend evenly. So you get, you get your chunk of wood, you draw out your bow. Um, and then you do what you can to, to carve it away to get to a place where you can start pulling on the limbs and making sure that it's tillered evenly so that the both limbs bend in a symmetrical fashion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have a tiller. Nice. It's in it's <laughs> like, it's it's in deep storage at the moment, but um, someone gifted it me, and it has all the various um, pounds of pressure, you know, all the way down the tiller. So I'm aware what that what that is. Um, when you've measured your bow on a tiller, when you yeah. pull that string back and like hooked it in, has any ever snapped on you? Oh yeah, man. I've yeah. I'm by no means like a pro at this. I've made some like. 20 bows now i think i've probably broken like eight of them yeah um and i've learned a lot from all of them and there were times where uh you know it was me being stubborn and you know my teacher being like you shouldn't do that and i was like ah, i just gotta try it out you know and see what happens and sure enough it breaks or whatever and um and then you get to practice repairing bows and patching them and <laughs> mm -hmm. seeing what that's like so yeah, I've totally broken so many most. And th dude, that moment, that moment after like, <laughs> after like 10 hours of loving, patient work to have that explode in your face and you're just like, <sighs> thank you. You know, calls on your, <laughs> your, your like, the resiliency muscle to be like, okay, what can I be grateful for in this moment? Because I'm really not feeling good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Yeah, but it's it's great. It's a, such a fun 
practice and it's so it's such an art like there's so much to it that's an art like it always gets me how 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 the masters that I've spoken to I ask them these questions about physics and about how does this work and when do you know when to put your string to brace height and how like even the masters they they're just at some point they're like you just feel it you know you just have to feel hmm. when's the right time to put the string on you know and it's like there is such a science to it and there's so much physics and there's so much you know uniqueness with every piece of wood that you have to understand um and then there's this there's this part that's very intuitive and um artful um that comes with practice and comes with time yeah and so this is one of the skills i think um that that really lends itself to mentoring you know there's only so many youtube videos you can watch about bow making you'll get the gist for sure and but everyone everyone has their own style their own like their own techniques and their own ways of dealing with things and there's a lot of unconscious competence right where they're just they're doing what has worked for them um and they can't might not necessarily be able to explain it or answer all the questions about it but it works for them yeah um and so it's it's really fun to sit with like experienced boyers because you you get us you yeah you get this beautiful um connection to their embodied relationship with the wood you yeah. know that you can't capture in a youtube video or mm -hmm. a book you know and, and it's also a relationship with the wood really that's being developed yeah people say like you learn to speak wood carving wood and and making stuff out of wood you know reading the grains and understanding that and then with like living through like these little shocks you know every time you like launch an arrow it's like a little shock wave that goes through the wood that shakes it all up you know yeah it's a beautiful thing <laughs> mm -hmm. i'm feeling that steve yeah, yeah you can tell I can, I can tell you're really passionate about it as i'm as i'm talking to you you know when you say it lends itself well to mentoring it, that brings up some questions for me because you know i have to say rather ashamedly in the UK right now, archery has kind of been reduced to a filler outdoor activity sport, you know, like kids will maybe come yeah. along and they'll have like a 45 minute archery session and they'll all stand in a straight line and they'll fire their target and they'll put down their bow. And, you know, and I'm not even sure if these buds are made out of wood. And so they're, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying, but I'm also feeling a little disassociation right now and I, and I want to know how to join the two up how how can we how do you make archery um relational when you like with kids and stuff like what do you do yeah wow that's a good question it's like anything you can bring mentoring to any skill you know and there's something special about archery that i think is so raw and so has this mystique but also i think it's it's like a there's an instinctual uh, ancestral connection here, which, you know, which goes so far back in us. Um, and it really like speaks to our DNA um, and our spirits. And so, so what do you do when a kid is like excited about killing something, you know, or they're like joking about it, you know, um, are they actually ready for it? Are you ready to hold them through an experience where they can have that opportunity and 
it is it empowers them and connects them to um, qualities of responsibility and awareness um, and caretaking. So I, I've seen it many times, you know, kids uh, joking about or, or, or just or just really excited and interested in hunting. And then it's like, how do you how do you take that calling and um, do it justice? Yeah. And not and not just trivialize it, not just tokenize it, um, not ignore it either or 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 shame it, um, mm-hmm. but make it a connective experience where they're developing these qualities of leadership, really. And and um, attunement to the land. Is there a difference mm-hmm. that happens for you when you do that same thing, but you have a bow in your hand? Like, what's is there? Something? Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> I'm really curious about that hunter's uh, mind, and that and that doesn't mean to say I'm interested in what it's like when you release the arrow, but I'm just on about what it's like when you're stalking, so to speak, with a with a bow in your hand. Your senses come alive, and you your mind is sharp and you are nowhere else but here and now and you um fuse with the land and you fuse with the wind and the sounds of the insects and the birds and the soil on your feet and your hands um there's this amazing attunement that happens, you know, when we do these sneaking games with kids that is so reminiscent of what I've experienced when I'm going to hunt an animal. Um, you know, you feel like the stakes are high. I need to do this right. Like, don't mess this up. <laughs> need um, for me to be here and to be paying attention. Um, so yeah all that all that comes online when when the bow and the arrow is in the hand and my mind is still and calm (laughs) for the most part (laughs) how is your breathing and heart rate uh does it vary um yes yes it does (laughs) uh so often like i think a lot of hunters experience this some more than others your uh they call it buck fever i've heard that expression around here um you know you're i'm so present and i'm so revved up about this hunting experience and i'm in the tree or whatever and i hear a leaf fall and my nervous system just jumps and i'm like what was that okay okay it was a squirrel okay okay (laughs) you know (laughs) and um, the, I've definitely had to, I've been humbled many times because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in a tree for hours and I'm going through this emotional roller coaster and my heart rate is racing and I'm like, my breathing is shallow or super fast. And, um, and I've, it, <laughs> I've had to really like practice like some mind body, uh, um, control, you know, and just breathing slowly and to, say whatever prayers that kind of ground me um and calm things down um but there's there's definitely a struggle internally like that silence isn't isn't easy to hold on to um because the mind comes in and i don't know you know the adrenaline kicks in Mm -hmm. and uh, (laughs) yeah and it's it's that's another skill of just like what meaning does that hold for you 
Because um, that's full on. You know, you could be like watching TV. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. I had this flash this season talking with my brother. I, this this is so, this is not right. I'm like, I shouldn't say this. It may, It's not a fair comparison. But I was like, I had this flash of like what I imagine what I understand menstruation is like for a lot of women. And I had this, and it is not similar at all. It is not, you know, it's hard to compare. But, Are we gonna, um, do you just want to choose another metaphor? <laughs> no, I'll go with, I'll go with it for now because I think it captures some of this, like, I don't know, like I'm so called to this because it, it does so much good for me. This experience of sitting in a tree and trying to get meat for the family and there's blood involved and there's pain and there's like all these moments of like, am I, you know, this sucks and this hurts. And, um, in, in the style of hunting that I do, I know some people hunt in a little cabin and they're drinking beers and they're smoking and they're, you know, and they have a big bait pile and they just shoot the first thing that comes and they don't really care about the landscape or whatever. But what is that? What, so when you're asking me about what does that mean for me? Like it means, um, you know, it connects me to life and death. It connects me to my death. It connects me to the life that I want to live. Um, it makes me, um, you know, want to do this in a good way and, and, and make the best of this and contribute to life in a, in a positive way. Um, and all of this swirls around when I'm up there in that tree. And it is, it, part of it is kind of contrived, you know, like, oh, I could just go to the grocery store and get the meat or, you know, I could just like play some, you know, why do I really need to do this in person? Um, but I think there's, there's like a, there's a really deep empowerment that I choose in my life. And hunting is one of those experiences that um, brings me to that, to the, to these choices and reminds me of who I want to be and what it, what it's going to take for me to be that, you know? Mm -hmm. bow hunting is illegal here you would like go to jail wow. Um, wow there were all kinds of very strict permissions and qualifications needed um but a, you know a bow isn't on the menu here at all yeah there's a ton of laws here that you have to follow for sure tons of regulations the seasons the days the time of day um it's very strict for sure. You have to register the deer after you um, shoot it. You have to take it to a place where they, you know, get some statistics on, on the animal and uh, you have to tell them where you harvested it. You have to keep, keep a, a note with you when you have the meat, you're not allowed to sell the meat. Yeah. There's a lot of um, conditions um, that you kind of got to follow for sure. Um, and, and get, like establishing good relations with the land, you know, I live in the city. And so a big part of my journey has been like finding places where I can, um, go hunting and, um, ideally commit for a long-term relationship to some pieces of land and so that you can go back and, and you can go early and study and, and learn the tracks and learn where you're going to set up. And yeah, there's, and, and you have to, yeah, obviously you have to be, um, in, uh, good good relations with the landowners and i think technically it's like um the animals are it's weird the legalities but it's all like the queen's animals and we are we are entitled to them something like that there's something okay. weird 
Are you still yeah. under the thumb of the uh, Commonwealth over there? Yes, yes. Oh, yep. good, goodness me. Well, um, I know there's a big, strong independence movement in many parts of Canada right now, so I'm wishing you well with that. Uh, yeah. Steve, I just want to give a little bit of a shout-out to um, my vegan listenership right now. Um, thanks for yeah. sticking with the podcast thus far. If you're still in the game, I wanted to ask you, Steve, is there a place for bow hunting for um, for the vegan or vegetarian in the world? You know, you were talking about the kind of connection that it affords you to take you back to the, um, yeah, connection to one's ancestors. Do you think it's possible to have that experience without releasing an arrow into something? Wow, uh, that's a great question. I'm, I, for sure, man. I like. I really hope that we can we can have that kind of intimacy with what we consume. Um, if it's meat or if it's vegetables, like the world needs meaningful relationships with what we consume and the impact that our lifestyle has. Like that is like the struggle of the times, man. That's like, yeah. And um, I, I was vegetarian for ten years. Um, and then I got into primitive skills and I was like, Hey, there's, and it's more than just skills, but it's, it's, it's uh, conduct, you know, and it's this relationship building um, intention that we bring to, to the crafts, um, industrial food systems of all kinds, meat and vegetable are, you know, um, not really sustainable in a lot of ways, you know, like, yeah, clear cutting jungles to grow some tofu, some soybeans for tofu is like, you know, it's the ethics are you know dubious. Sus. Yes, mate. Let, yeah, let alone to to feed animals, you know, that we're gonna eat later on. So it's it's yeah. You've also got the uh, the drawstring and the arrows and what sort of materials do you have to select for for that side of things, Steve? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some people say like, um, the bow is the easy part. <laughs> the arrow is like, uh, that's like way harder. <laughs> that's a whole, it's a whole other conversation of like, yeah, selecting the right kind of wood that you, that you is straight initially, or that you can make straight that has enough density to, um, not bend too much. And that isn't too, too stiff at the same time. So you need some flex shoot. Okay, I'm I'm getting practical because I'm feeling my way towards the end of this this uh, chat. What do I make my uh, string out of? String can be uh, a bunch of different things. Um, animal sinew. It can be plant fibers like dogbane, apocynum. I don't know if you have that over there. Nettle, and then there's a whole bunch of different commercial. Oh, linen. I've used uh, linen before. You can get it in spools. And there's some other commercial uh, plastic cords that you can get to make to make your thread. So there's there's a bunch of options. Yeah, I guess I guess look it up online for for this for the specs. Like, um, I have a friend who's broken a lot of linen strings because I think they weren't uh, strong enough. He didn't he didn't weave them with enough fibers in them, and his bow was too strong, and they and they popped. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's there's a lot of options for sure. Uh, and then the tools. Um, yeah, so I think you can do most stuff with an axe and a draw knife, a wood rasp, 
um, cabinet scraper, pocket knife, some kind of carving knife. Yeah. Oh, oh, I just started using here um, spoke shave. Spoke shave is super fun. Oh, I love spoke shaves. Cool. Um, so tell me next steps for you, Steve. Obviously, you're um, you mentioned you're a father. What are your what are your next steps along your bow journey right now? I have these moments in the evenings when ev- everyone else is in bed and I can uh, do some craft time. That's pretty great. Yeah. And then practicing, uh, you know, a little like mental health <laughs> breaks during the day. I go out into the yard here, which is great because we're at, at my normal apartment. I don't have a place to shoot arrows, but here they have a nice yard and I can shoot just just that you know, five minutes here, five minutes there to just go and shoot some arrows after working on the computer or whatever. In case people wanted to find a little bit more about the programs that you're offering in Montreal, and I certainly found what you're doing over there really inspiring. Uh, could you signpost me to a website or a point of contact for you? Yeah, my, uh, my the school I work for, their, the name is Programme Coyote. It's French, Coyote Programs. And you can go to programmecoyote.com, P-R-O-G-R-A-M-M-E-S, Coyote, C-O-Y-O-T-E.com. Um, and uh, yeah, there's there's Eight Shields Nature Schools. People can look that up too. There's Nature Connection Schools all, all around the world. I think there's a bunch in the UK too, people doing similar kind of work. Um yeah. Yeah. Thanks for these, uh, these great questions. And, um, and I hope you, you can get your, um, what'd you call it? The, uh, the tillering stick out. And, and, um, I hope you have some times to, uh, some time to get, get on a bow. Steve Leckman, renegade in Ontario. Um, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Ridian. Take care, man. Good talking to you. Yeah, you too, bro. menstruation metaphor is gonna scare some people away so I hope you enjoyed this week's edition of Thai Hi-Fi if you like what you're hearing please tell your friends all the best <laughs>